0: Welcome to McClatchy's Beyond the Bubble podcast on this post-Democratic convention, pre-Republican convention morning in the nation's capital. I'm Alex Troy, political correspondent for McClatchy. And I am thrilled today to be joined by David Cadneys, who I have spoken with, I think, mostly over these last few days through Google Doc and other uh, Google services. Dave, welcome to the show.
1: It's good to be with you, and I'm glad we are both properly trimmed with our new haircuts for the, for the pod.
0: I just wanted to look my best for the listeners. Yes, you know, that was that, that, that <laughs> was that listeners. was my main imperative my, my first haircut of 2020 actually, which we can dive into later um, if people are really interested. And of course uh, we are thrilled to be joined today by McClatchy DC politics editor Adam Wallner. Adam welcome.
2: I do feel like I missed the memo on on the haircut. Definitely feeling a little a little scruffy here compared compared to you guys. Maybe I'll have to sneak out this afternoon so, so I'm prepared uh, for, for the next podcast and looking looking clean and and cut.
0: It, it would be nice if you did. I think <laughs> it would be a nice gesture. I think really for for everyone if you did. Okay, uh, on today's show we're going to get right to it. We are going to talk about our reactions to the four day Democratic National Convention. A very different event this year, of course, uh, on all virtual affair. The Democrats did not descend on Milwaukee like we all expected because of the coronavirus pandemic. And because of that, we had a lot of, I think, a very different feel to this year's, this year's convention. But before we get into some of the mechanics of whether or not we think that this went well and maybe what Democrats and Republicans can take from this year's convention moving forward, Dave, of course, the most important event at any of these conventions, it's the nominee's acceptance speech. And let me just put the question to you point blank. Did Joe Biden do a good job last night?
1: Yeah, he hit his marks. I still don't think he was better than the Obamas. <laughs> but, you know, tough, tough bar. And he hit his marks. And I do think the fact that, I mean, he didn't make any mistakes. He he seemed to be genuine. He seemed to be with confidence. Um, So I think he hit the mark for the most momentous speech of his career. And I think the themes were more important than, you know, anything else, than even like his delivery style, which people were, were praising. You know, light over darkness, hope over despair, empathy over division. This is the core of Biden. It's the best rationale for him. It was the best rationale for him during the primary. That basically, this is a good guy who can go in the general election, carry the torch and beat Donald Trump, not scare voters, not be risky to voters, but, you know, sort of be that stable old politician who, you know, may not be the greatest president of our lifetimes, but is basically going to, you know, put his hand on the wheel and drive safely. And I think he accomplished that. Pretty much across the board last night, and you know, frankly, you know, from top to bottom, it was a good convention given the circumstances, and I think he capped it well.
0: Adam, let's talk about for if we can just for a second. I mean, I agree that the themes that Biden presented were were important, and I think reflective of what we saw over the course of the entire convention too. And, and it did seem to me that Democrats actually, if you take a step back made a coherent case over four days thematically, which is not which is not look, I'll tip my cap to them. I don't think that that's a that's a given, and I don't think that we've seen that in a lot of recent conventions. However, I, I think the delivery was important, if nothing else, because as we've talked about on the show, look, the Trump campaign makes an explicit case that Joe Biden is senile, that he is a doddering old man in decline. There, there aren't any euphemisms here, right? They, they say that. In interviews, on Twitter, and even in their, their TV ads, it seemed like that that was, maybe even Democrats were breathing a sigh of relief because I will just say I hadn't seen Joe Biden hit some of the heights that he did last night and just in terms of the forcefulness that he delivered the speech.
2: Right, I, I think a lot of the sort of strange um, and just sort of unprecedented nature of a lot of this campaign that sort of led to this virtual convention really ended up working in his favor to the point you were making, the fact that we haven't really seen much of Joe Biden in public these past few months since he, since the primary, when the coronavirus really just completely put a halt to in-person campaigning. And certainly on the Democratic side, they are still sticking to that. Obviously, the Republicans and Trump are getting out on the trail a little bit more. And the fact that Trump and his Republican allies have just kind of set the bar so low for Joe Biden, I mean, whether or not you actually buy into that or not, I do think that, you know, it, I don't think the average voter was coming into this speech last night expecting, you know, a barn-burning address from a Joe Biden. They weren't expecting him to, to to be a Barack Obama or a Michelle Obama. But he certainly, you know, delivered a very kind of stern and serious speech, kind of a you know setting the stakes of the gravity of the moment, kind of you know hitting a lot of these themes that we saw um, other speakers make throughout the week. And I, and I actually think the fact that there wasn't an audience present actually helped make a lot of those points more effective. I think that was the case both for Joe Biden's speech and also for. Barack Obama and Michelle Obama, some of these speakers who were really trying to, you know, almost like scare voters straight, right? Like, hey, remember what happened in 2016 and we didn't all come out and vote and we all thought, you know, there's no way Donald Trump could be president. Well, guess what? (laughs) You know, have you liked the the way the last four years have gone? You know, we need to take this seriously. We need to get out and, and, and vote this guy out of office. And ultimately, that was the theme of this whole week, right, is, Joe Biden is not Donald Trump, right? He is the opposite <laughs> of Donald Trump in every single way because that is really the, I mean, what have we heard this entire campaign from Democrats? What, are they, what do they want most during the primary? They wanted somebody who can beat Donald Trump. What do a lot of you know, Republicans who, who don't like Trump and don't like the direction that, that the party has gone and they just wanna beat Trump, right? So that's the way he's been sort of keeping this broad fragmented coalition together so far these past few months, you know, where you have the John Kasichs of the world on one side making a case for him. You also have Bernie Sanders making an argument. They're all, you know, they're coming at it from, from different perspectives, but they're all basically making the same case here is that we can't afford another four years of Donald Trump. Put aside whatever policy or ideological differences you have with Joe Biden. We just have to get this guy in office. We'll revisit some of these, you know, other, other debates later because the way that a lot of these speakers were putting it this week, you know, the very foundations of democracy are at stake, which is not, not an argument you're usually hearing from from leading figures in, in any party uh, dur- during a convention that's really supposed to kind of be rallying rallying the troops before the general election.
0: I mean, Dave, that was almost the message overall for me at, off these four days was that Joe Biden is a good guy and Donald Trump is a threat to democracy. Th- is that how you saw it? And I, I'm a little curious what you make of, you know, the Democrats for, for years have said that the real way to make inroads against Donald Trump was to argue that he was bad for the middle class. His policies favor the rich and that he was making healthcare more expensive. He was taking away pre-existing conditions because he wanted to repeal the Affordable Care Act. What do you think thematically Democrats tried to, to hone in on?
1: I don't think they honed in on that. I think mm. if you go back, it was very similar to a case, you know, Hillary Clinton made. I mean, not to curse yeah. the Biden campaign, but-
0: I think you just this, did, Dave. This... I think you just did. <laughs>
1: This was not an issues-based approach. They didn't really go into the Affordable Health Care Act and talk about Trump and a, a Republican attorney generals trying to sue and, you know, kill it. And, you know, they talked a little bit about taxes. They didn't go into a very deep discussion about, about Trump favoring the wealthy.
0: I think they only mentioned the tax law twice, and it was Bloomberg and then Biden himself last night. But that was, was the at whole the convention.
1: End of the speech, which yes. tells you it is not a priority. I mean, the first half of the speech is the most important part because reporters are writing; they're on deadline. What are they going to take? We're going to take from the top of that speech. That's what's going to make it a newscast. I mean, that's just how this process works. So whatever you're putting in the second half of the speech is just not as a big of a priority. And like. This is not an issues-based contrast the Biden campaign is going for. It is values-based. I think we saw that, as you guys mentioned, throughout all four of the nights. Sure, he had these little roundtables with people and videos talking a little bit about policy, about manufacturing policy, bringing back the other. But there were no concrete plans like, I'm going to lower your taxes. I'm going to do... I mean, I remember past convention speech history, well, you would see some big... Policy promises, at least a couple. There was none of that from Biden. That's not what this is going to be remembered for. It's going to be light over darkness, empathy, unity, you know, feel good themes. And I think Democrats want that, right? Like they don't want to get into a tax battle with Donald Trump. They don't want to get in a battle like that. Biden might raise your taxes if you make more than $300,000 a year. That's, you know, it's about unity. It's about, look, what's going on is out of control and we're exhausted as a nation and, like, this guy's stability. And I do think, I mean, I will say, though, I will be a little contrarian and say, like, I missed the crowds. Like, I am not convinced. I mean, maybe this is my the journalist part of me because I want to see the reaction. I want to see how a speaker rolls with the crowd, whether they're getting bored, whether they're into it, whether they can bring them back and, like, I did miss that with the Obamas, with Biden. I mean, I do think the take is that these speeches were still effective, maybe more effective. I just sort of missed the rolling of, like, the delegates and, like, frankly, the cutaways and seeing, like, how they're reacting to certain parts of the speech. Were they captivated? Were they in tears? Were they bored? Were they talking to their neighbor? Like, that's what I missed about this convention most. And I think Biden would have done well with a crowd last time. I think that speech could have fit with a crowd and, and seeing the emotion in that room when he's talking about, you know, the fate of the country and democracy. Uh, but but to, back to your, to your question, Alex, I do think, I mean, like, I think the Trump now is interestingly like, trying to make this more of an issue campaign than the Biden campaign, right? Like, they're the one talking about, he's going to raise your taxes, he's going to take away, you're going to have no oil, you know, he's going to get rid of you know, they're trying to do fracking ads in Pennsylvania. So it's ironically, it's the Trump campaign that wants to make this about issues. The Biden campaign wants to keep this all about values and character.
0: I mean, Dave, to, to your point, though, about the, the lack of a crowds, I mean, this feels like almost an end point of a process that has been drained of all drama and unscripted moments. I mean, of course, that was not yeah. the way it was before any of us were born, you know, we're presidents. Where they were actually picked at these conventions and they have slowly morphed into these infomercials. But you're right that reactions from the crowd or even dissent from the crowd was maybe the last remaining unscripted part of all of this, you know, and, and it was, it was a, a bummer for journalists not to see that. I do think that will come back in previous conventions, but I think also simultaneously there are going to be elements of this that they take and then transfer, uh, down the line. Adam, I mean, on, on, on that point, I mean, I think, My my understanding of why the Biden campaign wouldn't want to talk about specific policy issues is that is their belief, uh, and again, I think they really made this clear thematically throughout, that they build the biggest coalition, whether that is the the Bernie bro lefty or the John Kasich center-right Republican, that they build the biggest coalition when they are talking about Joe Biden's values versus Donald Trump's values. And the moment you start talking about health care and taxes, even if... A lot of Democrats think those are favorable issues for them right now on their own right, and their own terms, that you are alienating different parts of that, of that constituency, I think particularly some of the Republican moderates. And it sure felt like that the real focus in terms of voters in this convention were those right-leaning independents who maybe aren't all that liberal, but they sure don't like Donald Trump either right now.
2: Right, and you know, and, and to your point, kind of about the healthcare and tax messaging that worked so well for them in twenty eighteen, and there was some thought of, oh, you just are you just sort of able to run that message back in a way in twenty twenty, and and maybe that would have been the case pre. How many crises have we had, you know, in twenty twenty, right? Between you know, coronavirus, you know, the economy suffering after that, the um, protests over racial injustice, right? We're just in a much different environment. I think Democrats realize that you almost have to take that argument to a different level now, right? It's not, you know, obviously the pocketbook issues are still very important, but I think you know Americans' focuses now, you know, are so much, you know, it's it's, they're so much broader than than where they were at this time last year, and you know, and, and that's how you're able to bring in. All these disparate parts of, you know, not just the Democratic Party, but but the but the Republican Party, you know. Even so, I was surprised, you know, and this is something that um, you and Dave wrote about in our kind of recap from the convention last night. Was that that, that it, it was that it seemed like the speeches were geared so much towards the kind of Republican leading independents, the moderates over the progressives. The fact that we saw so many of those sort of centrist center right figures speak throughout the convention, whether it was. John Kasich, Colin Powell. I mean, even you know, Michael Bloomberg. You know, fits that bill. I think to an extent. Whereas, you know, Speaking Thursday of, night, no less, uh, in Thursday you know, right night, right? Before I mean, Biden, I, I, yeah. where he was the last speaker before before Biden, right? Which is pretty pretty remarkable for for someone who has been a member of of <sighs> both parties and and has been an independent. As he uh, noted in, in his speech. But, Meanwhile, it, it outside, helps
0: when you donate eighteen million dollars to Democrats. Uh, absolutely, absolutely, just absolutely. It's just gonna say, just right. But outside of
2: Bernie Sanders, right, you know, there weren't really a whole lot of progressive luminaries giving primetime speeches at this convention. You know, of course, Elizabeth Warren spoke, but it's not, you know, she wasn't really giving, you know, a real leftist firebrand type speech. And of course, you know, it kind of became a running joke on Twitter pointing out which speakers were given more time than, than AOC. But as even AOC pointed out in, in an Instagram live that she did after she spoke... You know all of these battles that progressives kind of want to have, and, and these disagreements they have with Biden and sort of the center-left establishment, they have kind of just said, okay, those can wait until after the election, right? Like we're not going to make the same mistake as as four years ago and sort of press the nominee on these things and make life uncomfortable for them during the campaign, because we just need to help them win first. Because you know they're certainly better than than what you know whatever four years of four more years of Donald Trump looks like. So it's not like those. Fights over policy just aren't going to ever happen. It's just that I think they're getting pushed off until you know they they see you know Joe Biden take the oath and and, and become the, the next president.
0: Yeah, I mean I, I think it was almost as if those the the message to liberals and I think other parts of the Democratic base was we need to postpone those fights over policy because we're in a fight over democracy right now, mm-hmm. and that was really an explicit pitch not just from the Obamas but I think Bernie Sanders as well. But but Dave, you know this week wasn't entirely all about. Joe Biden um, in November. I do want to talk about the the in, very difficult to miss contrast between Michelle and Barack Obama and Hillary and Bill Clinton. Uh, you you wrote about this. It seems like one couple is is on the rise. I don't know actually if you could be on the rise if you're already <laughs> on top of the Democratic Party, but right. they they showed no signs of, of of slipping. Meanwhile, I don't think you can say the same thing about the former president, Bill Clinton, and the 2016 Democratic presidential nominee, Hillary Clinton.
1: Yeah, I think, I think the convention underscored that the two most powerful messengers in the Democratic Party remain Michelle Obama and Barack Obama. They are just in a different league than everybody else is playing in. And I think that means they are important figures for years and, you know, potentially decades to come, because they're still pretty young. So they've got a lot of conventions left in them if they want to be there Um, and just the reactions to their speeches I think the cohesion and focus of them I think having Michelle lead off on Monday was probably one of the smartest ideas that the DNC convention had she's more popular than Brock and you know she sort of set the table and was serious in a genuine way about the stakes here getting so specific (laughs) down in the weeds to be like look some of these states were decided by two votes a precinct. I mean, that's not usually like an inspiring line that you put in a convention speech, but she was like, you guys got to get out there and vote, like not screw around. Like this could be very close again. And if you talk to Democratic strategists, I mean, Alex, I know you know this, but it's like, we look at these polls and Biden's got nice leads everywhere. And what are the Dems saying? Like, oh, it's going to close. We're not up by this much. Don't believe the Michigan polls, you know, like, They're just, they're, they're so paranoid, whether they whether they really believe that or not, I think she reinforced that message that, look, this is going to tighten. He could win again. You cannot not vote. You cannot not participate. Get a plan. Go vote. It was almost like a voter education seminar. So I think she did that really well. And then, you know, obviously President Obama following up, you know, getting back to a prior conversation, you know, he also made it just basically laid it out about Trump saying like it wasn't a policy argument again. It was the guy's just not interested in doing the job. He's just like not into this. And like, he he can't do the job like daily. And that was Obama's. It wasn't like going down a litmus of issues. So I think that fit well need into it. So I think they were super highly affected uh, for Biden and the Clintons, on the other hand, like will we remember their speeches in a week? Will anyone be talking about them a week from now, a year from now, four years from now, we'd be saying, wow, remember those Clinton speeches?
0: <laughs> like, I don't think Remember so. those five minutes Bill Clinton had on Tuesday night, Yeah, you know, boy, sure was memorable.
1: The relegated to early time slots, fascinating to me that Hillary Clinton was in the nine o'clock hour. She's the first female nominee of a party. The last four years, and Bloomberg got a better spot than her, who ran a terrible campaign. <laughs> I mean, got his got his floor wiped in debates. I mean, you know, just has a ton of money. Okay, hat tip. I wish <laughs> I was that. I, but mm-hmm. like, that was it. That was amazing to me that the last nominee of your party, who's a historic figure and will be a historic figure no matter what, you know, they pushed her out of pr- that prime hour. She was before that 10 o'clock hour. So- To me, this was like the sunset of the Clintons, and I know we we spoke about this. But what will be their role in the next convention? You know, will Bill just appear? You know, be a video, even if everyone's back in an arena. What's Hillary's role? You don't hear a lot of Democrats talking about the Clintons or Hillary. They talk about Obama. They do not talk about the Clintons. So, and you know, and
2: it's not like we've seen very much of the Clintons in in the twenty twenty campaign, right? Or certainly not Democrats bringing them up, I and mean, this is really all we've seen from them. They didn't have a role you know, in the primary. They haven't had a role in the summer. And I highly yeah. doubt they'll have any sort of significant role outside of maybe fundraising in, in the right. fall. But yeah, but I think you know, for the conventions going into the foreseeable future, I think that the four main speakers are going to be the presidential nominee, the vice presidential nominee, and, and the Obamas, right? They, they kind of have that schedule set <laughs> for, for, for the next few conventions. So one less thing for, for planners to worry about.
1: I think it makes it tough, though, just to make one more point. I think it makes it tough for, like, a breakout star. I mean, remember the keynote the Democrats did this year? They had, what, 17 speakers, all these state reps and mayors and young faces, very diverse coalition. But, like, you know, Obama's on the map because of that 04 convention speech, right? No one had that moment this year. It was hard. It was hard to break out, I think, also because of lack of a crowd. Nobody could react in real time except via Twitter, To like who were they were most excited about? Like you can usually measure it with a crowd. Wow, the crowds are going nuts for this speaker this year. It's like oh, they got a bunch of retweets. I guess he was good. (laughs) Like you know, it's just harder to know like who's the future. Who's who's the 10 year plan for the Dems?
2: Maybe it's Harris, right? I mean, people are already willing to to coronate her as as the next uh, next nominee, but, but that, 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 I mean, that's coronate, a discussion. For,
1: <laughs> I don't. I mean, I don't know if she's gonna have a coronation, but I mean, she will be in the mix. I'm saying, yeah, I'm people doing.
2: are treating her as that. Yeah, whether yeah. or not that actually, uh, that but that's a discussion for uh, for uh, once once we the do our, our, our 2024 like... <laughs> or our 2028 podcast.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're we're doing that after the conventions. We're just gonna skip ahead to 2024 and 2028. I like it. Uh, so, you know, start start doing your research now. Now, before I ask for each of your final impressions for the DNC, just just quickly, what do we think we're going to see next week from Republicans? Because, look, at a baseline level, Democrats have been preparing for a mostly virtual convention for months, right? They knew what was going to happen. That's not the case with the Republicans. And I think you did see, and there was some benefit to Democrats clearly having a lot of time to pull together some of these videos to have a a cohesive and coherent plan, um, even if it went all virtual. And, and the GOP hasn't had that much time. Adam, what, what are you looking for? What do you think the GOP needs to accomplish next week?
2: Well, I, I think it's worth pointing out here we're recording this on on the Friday morning before the convention begins next week and we do not have an official schedule of any sort. So <laughs> in terms of what to expect, I think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of the president, you know basically you know, some of the reporting that, that's been out there, about plans for the convention is that, you know, I think we can expect to see Donald Trump speaking on more than just Thursday night, you know, that final night of the convention when we normally see the nominees speak. I think it's, it's just, you know, by function of the fact that the planning for this, you know, had, you know, kind of happened so late in the game that, you know, even as of a couple of weeks ago, they were still trying to do this in person, that a lot of it is just going to have to be live, you know, for, for the Democratic convention, aside from a couple of the speeches um, you know, it was mostly, you know, pre-recorded, pre-packaged. So, you know, on the one hand, maybe that gives it a little more element of, of spontaneity and surprise, but also, you know, leaves a little more room room for error. But I do think that, that this virtual Democratic convention really did set a, a high bar. We really had no idea what to expect coming into this this week because we've never seen a convention like this before. And I think by all accounts, people were pretty impressed. By the way, just technically speaking, Democrats were able to pull this off with really out any major hiccups or, or errors. And, you know, there was, I think, some reporting out last night as well that even as Trump was watching the convention unfold, he was making calls to, to, to his aides being like, oh, you know, can we do this for our convention? So I have a feeling they're going to have to sort of pull things to, together at the last minute. Uh, but ultimately, you know, it, it, it's going to be the Trump show and whatever, whatever he wants, that's, that's what's going to happen.
0: <laughs> Dave, do you think they're going to drop the senility message against Joe Biden?
1: No, I I mean, I think (laughs) I don't either. I don't. I mean, I think they'll throw everything in in the mix it in, you know. They don't, you know, they've been vacillating between messages for months now. I mean, Trump has taken shots all week at the Dems being pre recorded. So I think to Adam's point, like, you will see more live because, first of all, they weren't prepared for this. And second of all, like, you can't really, like, now have pre recorded stuff when the president has been making fun of the Dems for doing pre recorded speeches. So I think you're going to see a lot of Trump, a lot of family, Ivanka, Eric, Don Jr. It's going to be a lot of Trump, Trump, Trump. And then like, to me, the subplot is like literally the 2024 race. I mean, we joke about it, but like Nikki Haley's speaking, we know Pence is speaking, Um, you know, I guess like Cruz and Rubio, I believe. I mean, like you're going to have a ton of people that are eyeing 2024. And I think listening to their messages how pro trump are they are they all in are they doing you know are they trying to thread the needle and look towards the future i think there will be some interesting storylines that are beyond trump that tell us a bit about the future of the party especially if some of these people are looking in the writing of the wall and being like you know he may not be the leader of the party in a, in a few months or he may still be the leader but may not be the president i don't know
0: so we really actually might have a 2024 podcast. Yeah, discuss drum Um I I appreciate that. Okay. So final impressions from from both of you, what do you think is going to matter? What will actually matter 2 weeks from now that we saw over the last 4 days? Adam, you go first. I do think
2: the fact that they that they really did make a an effort to sort of expand their tent. I do think that message is going to get across just the fact that that was ham, really hammered across all four days. And, you know, obviously when we talk about these conventions, we focus a lot on the, the politicians, obviously the leaders in these parties giving the speeches, but I was really struck by how effectively Democratic officials sort of use the, the everyday voter and sort of sprinkling those kind of testimonial videos throughout the week from, you know, either former Republicans or, or independents who voted for Trump or had voted Republican their whole lives or are now voting for Joe Biden. You know, I thought that, you know, in a lot of ways made the case more effectively. Than, than someone like John Kasich or Colin Powell ever could. And, you know, kind of giving that, you know, a permission structure perhaps to, to voters out there who, you know, have, you know, kind of Republican, you know, conservative instincts, don't like what they're seeing from Trump, have, you know, have never actually pulled the lever for a Democrat before or worried about a progressive agenda. I think, it, you know, if they're, even if they didn't watch all eight hours of the convention, like, like we did, I think just from, from the clips that they're going to see, the coverage of it, that that's you know one message that I think is really going to come across, I and mean, it really speaks to how Democrats want to close out this this final stretch of the campaign is keeping those sort of soft Biden supporters who still might be a little skeptical of him in their camp by just making that that just you know anti-Trump point.
0: I really appreciate you holding back on any sort of Milwaukee-related criticism. <laughs> there I, I think I think the and I think I speak for the listeners when I, when I say right. that. <laughs> Well, um, well, I
2: think, you know, speaking of 2024, we're already hearing the, the drumbeat for Milwaukee to host it in four years, so.
1: Man, it'll be tough if they don't give them it after think, all this. And, and unless, unless, just, <laughs> unless
2: it's just all virtual again. Maybe, they're, maybe we're never gonna
1: have an <laughs> oh, in-person convention on. again.
0: Maybe Nobody the pandemic- Everyone's to gonna
1: get together again. Everyone's gonna just sit at home.
0: Maybe the pandemic <laughs> will still be continuing in 2024. Oh, Dave, what do you think?
1: I think the most important thing is that Biden looked up to the job. The thing that I hear most from my friends socially Who aren't Trump fans, but like they say, like, really? Is Biden, is he too old? Like, he doesn't seem like he's got it. I think last night put a lot of that to rest. He looked energetic. He looked confident. He looked like he had both hands on the wheel and like ready to do this job. And I think that's the most important thing for people to get over. It's not ideology. It's not all the other stuff. It's not, you know, oh, they were able to pull this off online. Like, we care about that. But like voters don't. They're just like, Does does the guy look like he's got it together? He's 77. Can he do the job? And I do think he crossed that bar last night. You know, we got 74 days left and he's got to get through debates and, you know, other things, maybe if he ever does interviews. But I think last night's bar, he did cross.
0: That's a great point, Dave. And I, I would just say, kind of related to that, you know, we didn't necessarily hear a lot about Joe Biden's specific plans. We didn't even hear all that much about what Joe Biden has done in government, right? A little bit about his response to the Ebola pandemic a little bit yeah. about his response to the Great Recession in 2009, but really pretty threadbare overall. But what we did hear an awful lot about, again, that Joe Biden is basically just a good person, you know, whether it was the videos of his his grandkids, really, you know, interlaced, I think, through all four days, the, the way that he has had to deal with with tragedy and grief in his life and how that informs his own worldview Again, as Adam mentioned earlier, the young man um, who had a stutter who spoke last night, obviously a a connection to to Joe Biden's own story. And I felt like that is one thing Democrats did was they really filled out. They just didn't say he was a good guy, but really had a a, a lot of proof points and a lot of compelling, I think, emotional testimony to to that point. He will, if nothing else, do what he thinks is in the best interest of America. And, And again, this is a race that is just so, to such a large degree, a referendum on Donald Trump. But at some point, voters and swing voters are going to take a look at Joe Biden and they're going to need to feel at least somewhat comfortable with him. I think particularly after all the attacks that are going to come next week. And I think the Democrats did a pretty good job, again, not with the specifics of his legislation, but uh, just him as a person making the case that he's someone that Americans can trust. And that, I think, you know, trying to, to... insulate biden from some of the attacks that are coming um here in the, the last 74 days that that seemed to me the, the most important thing okay adam and dave thank you so much both of you for coming on
2: thank you yeah, of course uh time for my third cup of coffee of, of the morning i think here wow. yeah that that
0: uh that's that, way ahead of me. That, that's, <laughs> that sounds about right unfortunately i want to thank our producer jeremy sheeler and our executive producer david cober and thank you our listeners Check us out on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you use. And if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a rating or a review. Talk to you next Friday after the Republican National Convention. Same time next week.